0: Go to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. And this is where we began reading last night in verse 10. We're picking up here with a letter, you know this, these these letters that a man named Paul has written by the leading and the unction of the Spirit of God. He's writing to these churches, and this particular letter to this church the Philippian church is a partner letter these people are partners with him in his ministry they support him he came and he preached to them and the light came on in them and it changed their lives forever and out of that came this response it came this response to show appreciation and it wasn't just hey let's help Paul with some finances it wasn't just let's take up an offering it was thank you God for turning on the light in our lives and we worship you with this by sending it to him. That's what your offering is. It's worship. It's worship. So he's responding to them in that. This is really a thank you letter. Listen, in verse 10 of Philippians chapter four, he said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. I'll say this again to you this morning. Have you ever just, do you know what it's like to, to, to make somebody rejoice? Have you ever done something or given something to someone else that just made them, not necessarily thank you, but thank Jesus? That's one of the greatest feelings a believer could ever experience is number one, hearing from God, the direction of the Holy Spirit to take something you have and give it to somebody else. Now, uh, just a moment ago we were talking about things that aren't normal. That's not normal. Most of the rest of this world is not looking to see what they can give away. They're looking to see what they can hold on to. But what should be normal for you and I is this leadership, this, this direction of the Holy Spirit that says, take what you have, take a little bit of that, and put it in somebody else's hand. And when you do that and their eyes fill up with tears and this, this smile comes on their face, and they let out a big glory to God, thank you, Jesus, and they look at you and say, How'd you know? How'd you know? And you just say, Holy Ghost, I guess. I, I, I don't know. And you find out that once again, God used you? Nothing like that. And Paul's writing to these people and saying, I rejoiced greatly because now your care for me has flourished again. But notice he said, though surely you did care, but you lacked opportunity. You lacked opportunity. Now let me set this up this morning by saying this. I really believe There's something in this today that every single one of us, no matter where you are in life, what stage you're in, age or station or whatever, there's something in here today that can bring change and it's powerful enough to bring change into your life. But I want to specifically say that I believe my assignment and Sarah's assignment is to say these things to specifically our generation. Because I believe we're in a generation and it's one you're either in or you're witnessing right now. You're in a generation or witnessing a generation that is very, very generous. I've seen this. I've seen this and when I say our generation, some of these guys that you see up here on stage, Jordan and Noah and Stephanie and some of these different ones that are standing up here and leading these groups, I know these guys, I know people like this and they're generous, they have a desire to give and it's easy for them to give. But what Paul is saying here is these people had a heart to give, but what they lacked was the opportunity to act on the heart to give. But when money, when money is met with the heart of a giver, things change, things change. And if we have a generation, listen to me, young people, 35-ish and younger, right around that age, listen to me. If we become a generation and we combine this heart that we have of generosity, we combine it with God's desire to increase us, we can bring change into this world. We can do it. We can do it through our sowing. We can do it through our giving. We can do it through our harvesting and receiving. This is a generation that is gonna change some stuff. Amen? Paul's saying to these people, you cared, but you lacked opportunity, but then opportunity was met with this heart to give and it made a difference for him." He says in verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how. Everybody say, know how. how. You see these words up here? I know how to be abased. And then what did he say? I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned. I've what? Learned how? I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. How do you do this, Paul? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You ever heard that one before? Did you ever realize, stop and realize that that verse was written in response to an offering? It's in the context of talking about money and finances. And, and Paul says in, in these words here, I know how. Why don't you say it again? Know-how. How. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Know-how in any area of life is very valuable. Know-how in any any profession, any job, any career, know-how is valuable. And I mentioned last night that the reason know-how is so valuable is because you will pay somebody who knows how to do what you don't know how to do, right? And again, this is why I have to pay somebody to fix my car, because I don't know how. But that guy does, and he's very happy to charge me, right? There are things around the house, I've always admired guys, I've always admired what I call actual men who know how to pick up a hammer or a drill and a piece of wood and make something out of it. I admire that. I admire people who who know how, people who just have this know-how. And some of you who are of an older generation and you sit down in front of that computer, you sit down in front of that iPhone and you're looking at it and you're like, I just wish I knew how. So that's why you call your 12 year old grandkid who was born knowing how, it seems. Know how is valuable. Know-how is precious, and of all the things that you and I could know-how to do, or we could learn how to do, these two things right here that Paul mentioned are probably two of the most precious and valuable things that we could ever know-how, know-how to do. I know how he said to be abased, and I know how he said to abound. I know how. Everybody say it again. Know-how. How did he come to know how to do these things? Well, he said, I learned it. I learned that whatever state I'm in to be content. I learned how to be full. I learned how to be hungry. I learned how to abound. I learned how to suffer need. That's how I know how to do it. Now, last night, let me kind of recap that a little bit. We, we talked a lot about knowing how to abound. This word abound is exactly the word that Jesus used when he said, I came that you'd have life and have it how? Have it how? More abundantly. This word abundantly, this word abound, are the same thing. And you, you've probably heard some things that, the, that this word means, super abundantly. It means more than enough. It means beyond. That's the essence of it. It's beyond. You've got not enough, then you've got just enough, and then you've got what? more than enough. That's what it is to abound. And we talked last night about what this word really means. And you got to decide right now, which side of the aisle you sit on this word. The word abundantly literally means excessive, yes. excessive. And I got like four yeses and a hallelujah. And the rest of you are like, we don't want that excess. <laughs> no, no, all things in moderation. You need to look up that scripture and find out what it actually said. Cause that's not it. Because if you have a problem with excess, you're gonna really be uncomfortable in heaven. (laughs) Heaven is going to be a miserable place for you. And honestly, if you have, if you struggle with the concept of excess, then there is a huge part of God that you're missing. Because this is who he is. This is what he does. This is how he does things. If any man lacks wisdom, let him what? Ask of God, who will give you just enough to get you through the day. No? How does he give it? Liberally. Lavishly. God, I need some wisdom. I'm asking in faith for some wisdom. Okay, here you go. Here's your wisdom. Here's what to do. Here's how to do it. And you think, okay, God, thanks so much. And he says, no, shut up. Take some more. Take some more. Take some more. Take some more. God, that's too much. No, you're going to need it. Take some more. Take some more. Take some more. That's how he does things. That's what he does. And again, if you don't believe that, just ask Peter about the day he met Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, let's go fishing. And they went out in that lake and Peter threw that net over and he didn't catch just enough fish, did he? No, he caught so many that it was about to break that net and sink that boat. Don't you think Jesus would have known? No more fish, Jesus, no more fish. Stop, the boat's sinking. You know what he says? I don't want to. I don't want to stop. Take some more fish. What about the little boy that brought a few pieces of bread and some fish And Jesus ended up feeding 5,000 or more people that day. And the scripture says they all ate till they were full. That's just enough. But then what does it say? And there were 12 baskets left over. What is that? That's excess. That's too much. That's more than the need. And this is what we dealt with last night. What we need is some mind renewal about what the excess is for. You need to understand that from the moment you were born again, Jesus began moving you out of wherever it was you were into a new place. And the idea was not just that you get born again, not just that you get saved, but that you and I would fill up with salvation to the point that it begins to overflow out of us to the people around us and we're going, give me somebody to give this thing that I got. Give me somebody to give this to. Let me put this in the life of somebody else. The healing power of God for you is not just in you and for you to meet your own physical needs. Did you know that? The healing power of God that was alive and well in the ministry of Jesus and is alive and well in the earth today is for you and yes it will heal you, yes it will will take pain out of your body, it will heal you of symptoms of cold and flu, it will reach into your body and crush cancer absolutely remove it from you but that's not the end of it the whole idea is that you get so full of the love of god and the healing power of god that it's overflowing out of you and you are going to give me somebody to put my hands on bless god to minister to them what jesus gave me that's what the excess is for now why why would all of that be true but when it comes to money All we're supposed to want, all we're supposed to have is just enough for our, our four. Why is that the case? I don't need all that other stuff, Lord. God, I'm not asking for much. You need to change how you're asking then. You and I should be asking big. He said, ask of me and I will give you nations. Come on, that's excess. That's too much. What am I going to do with nations? Let me give it to you and you find out. Okay, I'm asking you for nations. Now, people who can't see beyond their wife and kids, what are they going to do with nations? It's not an issue of excess being the problem. The problem is we don't know what to do with it. And God cannot increase you until you get a revelation of what the provision is for. The pro-vision is for the vision. That's what the excess is for. And some people have heard good messages on prosperity and God wants you blessed. And the greatest vision they had was we could have another car and another house and another boat. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But you've got to find out first, how do I seek the kingdom with what I've got? Seek the kingdom and the stuff gets added. I gotta be careful, I'm re-preaching last night. So what I wanna deal with this morning is not just how to abound, because again, you can have a bunch of stuff and have no idea how to abound. We saw that, Jesus told the parable about the rich man who looked around and said, what do I do with all these crops? I've got more than can fit in my barns. It's a good question, what do I do with the excess? But he came up with the wrong answer. He said, I'm going to pull down these barns and build greater and I'm going to store all my stuff. And Jesus called him a fool. He said, you're a fool to be rich in this world but not be rich towards God. So see, you can have a bunch of stuff and have no idea what to do with it. Have no idea how to abound. And right on the other hand, what I want to deal with this morning is you could, you could be abased. I think other translations say it like this, living humbly in a straightened condition straightened you know what that means means tight means things are tight you don't have to lift up your hand you can if you want to anybody ever experienced some tight times yeah you know what it's like to be tight you know what it's like to um, have more month than money you ever heard that expression before you know what it's like to, to be tight and, and you hear this scripture and people who live that way on an ongoing basis would say, look, I know, I know all there is about being abased. <laughs> oh, I know how. But listen to me, just because you have a need doesn't mean you know anything in the world about how to be abased. There's a way to do it. I said there's a way to do it. There's a right way and a wrong way to be abased. And you think to yourself, I don't know that I really want to know how to be abased. Listen to me. Yes, you do. You do. Because if you don't know how to be abased when times are tight, then you are destined to stay there for the rest of your life. But if you learn how to do it, and the answer in short to both of them is that you do them both by faith. You do them both in faith. How do we live in these tight times? Well, Paul said it like this. He said... I've learned in whatever state I'm in, in whatever state I'm in to be content. And I think about it like this. If you're going to set out on a drive across the country, say say I'm driving to you from Texas. Well, I'm going to leave Texas, but I'm going to drive through Arkansas and what else? Tennessee, maybe Kentucky, Indiana, before I ever end up in the state that I want to be in. Now, all those other states, none of them were where I started. None of them were where I want to end up. But I have to go through them to get to my final destination. Listen, our destination, ladies and gentlemen, is abounding. That's where we're headed. Well, try it like this. That's where I'm headed. Now, you can come with me if you want to, but that's where I'm going. I am headed for excess. I I am headed for excess. I've got a word from God. I know what he wants me to accomplish. I've got vision. I know what he wants done in and through our lives and ministry. And I am headed for excess. And I'm not ashamed of it. I won't back off it because of the way people talk about it. I won't back off of it in fear of what other men would say to me. I want everything Jesus came to give me. And I will not be afraid of the persecution. I will not be afraid of the resistance. I won't back off it in fear. If he wants me to have it, I will have it. I will not stand before him one day and say, thank you for saving me. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for delivering me. And he says, what about all this provision I needed to get to? you and through you and I'm going to say, Lord, thank you, but no, it's not about to happen. I'm telling you, it's not about to happen. I am headed for the excess. Are you? Let's go. But if I'm not there yet, I'm going to have to learn how to be in the state that I am in. So every single one of us, the two states Paul's talking about are not Texas and Ohio. You probably already knew that. The two states he's talking about is the state of being abased and the state of abounding. Right now, you and I are on the road between abased and abounding. And every single one of us are at different places along that road. But I want to find out this morning what the word says about how to do it. You want to know how to be abased because, like I said, if you don't learn how, you're going to stay there. And I'm not interested in staying there. Look at what he said again in uh, chapter 4. Let's look. I, I see three things just in these few verses here that uh, I believe, if, if we've got the time, we can touch on all of them this morning, and they're going to teach us how to abound. Notice what he said in verse 11. Writing to them again in response to this offering, he said in verse 11, Not that I speak in regard to need. We're going to find out how to be a base, what to do in the tight times. Paul said, I'm not talking to you. I'm not speaking in regard to the need. This is a big one right here, everybody. Are you listening? Are you awake this morning? Take inventory of your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to set a guard over your lips and find out how much time you spend talking the need. How much of your day is spent talking about what you don't have? What you need? What you wish you had? Husbands, wives, how much of the conversation between the two of you is about what you don't have? Paul wrote and said, I don't speak in regard to the need. I don't speak in regard to the need. Find out, are you talking more about the need or are you talking more about the provider of the need? Because listen, this is why this is important what you talk about you magnify I'll say it again what you talk about you magnify Amen. now if I, had a, if I were to magnify something if I had words on a page and I put a magnifying glass on them what happens to those words what is it they get bigger, they get bigger. I knew you'd say that but do they really do those do the, the size of those words actually change no they get bigger you. When you magnify something, you don't actually change the size of it, it just gets bigger in your eyes. That's why David said, come magnify the Lord, what? With me. Come on, let's talk about him. Let's talk about how good God is. That's what we did in this worship service this morning. Just sing about how good God is. God, you are so good. You are so faithful. Remember that time you healed my baby? That was wonderful. Thank you, Lord. Oh, remember that time you saved me and that time you delivered me, that time you paid my debt, that time you healed my body, and you just talk about it and talk about it and talk about it, and he's getting bigger. Now, you're not actually changing the size of God. He's already definitively big. He's as big as big gets. But what is happening is he's getting bigger to you. Jesus is getting bigger in your eyes. Well, guess what's happening the more you talk about the need. The more you talk the need, the more you cry about the need, the more you put pressure on other people to meet your need. Husbands and wives, the more you talk to each other about the need, you are, you are saying, come magnify the debt with me. Come magnify with me what we don't have. And it's not getting bigger, but to you it is. And the effect of it is getting bigger. The pressure that comes from it is increasing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And Paul said, I do not speak in regard to need. I think you and I should adopt that same philosophy this morning. I do not speak in regard to need. I don't speak in in regard to the need. Then you have to really be watchful when you've got a need in your life, specifically a financial need, and it's pressing on you. And it is trying, it's tight. It's tight. That was the state Paul was in before they sent the offering. He said just a few verses later, you did good to share with me in my distress. The word distress literally means pressure. Pressure. Again, a quick poll. Anybody know anything about financial pressure? Yeah, okay, a few. This is the state that he was in before that offering came but then a few verses after that he said I have all things and I abound one day in one day that man went from the state of abased to the state of abounding how did he get there how would you know how to do that Paul how would you learn how to get from there to here I did it number one by not speaking in regard to the need be watchful over who you talk to the need about because you'll find you'll find that it's easier than you think to work up some tears to turn on those waterworks to turn on that emotion when you're talking to somebody especially when you're talking to somebody that you know has enough and could just reach in their pocket right now and help you You know what that's called? That's called manipulation. And the real problem with manipulation is this. It works. It works. But the even greater problem is the moment you've manipulated somebody into feeling sorry for you to meet their need, to meet your need, you are immediately limited to what they can do for you. As opposed to crying to God. Crying out to God about it. Let me show you what, just keep your place here. Do you guys have those other scriptures in the book of Psalms? Psalm 118.5. Can we put that up here? I want to show you the difference between crying to people about the need and crying out to God about the need. When God's children, uh, the nation of Israel was in bondage in, in Egypt, the scripture says in Exodus that they cried out to him. That's a cry for help. And it says in the New Living Translation that he knew it was time to act. In in all our learning about faith, in, in, our, in, the, in learning the principles of faith and how to walk by faith and how to talk by faith, you must never forget that your faith is to be in a father. It's a father who's compassionate. Does the cry of your child do something to your heart? Well, your cry does something to his. Psalm 118.5, what does David say? He said, I called on the Lord in distress. There's that word again. You look this word distress up, you're going to see this word right here, tight. It was tight. I called on the Lord when it was tight. Now, don't let this be too simple. This is huge. There's a big difference between I called on the Lord in my distress and mama, I just called because things are so tight right now. Daddy, I'm calling because it's tight. There's a big difference between those two. Not I called on the church. Not I called on my pastor. Not I called on my father-in-law. Not I called on my rich grandfather. Not I called on my mom's second uncle who I heard has some money and maybe, is he dead? I don't know. Can we get some of that inheritance? I called on the Lord. And what did he do? He answered me and he set me in a what? Come on, people, come on, church. He set me in a what? In a what? In a broad place. There's tight places, there's broad places. There's a state of being tight, and then there's a state of being broad. You know what's in, we know it's in a broad state? Freedom. You can move, you can dance, you can shout, and financial freedom is one of the greatest places anybody can ever be in. When the Lord has taken you out of tight times financially, and set you in freedom. And he did it. He did it. I said he did it when you called on him, when you talked to him about the need, not putting pressure on other people. Let me show you one other place. We'll spend a couple minutes with this one. Psalm 118, you're in 18. Go to Psalm 118. You don't have to turn there if you don't want. We'll, We'll look it up on the screen. Psalm 118. This has become one of my favorite places in all the scripture because it is so descriptive of who God is and what he will do for somebody who knows to call on him. Psalm 118 in verse five. I'll wait till we get that up there. Psalm 118 verse 5 we You're gonna see the same words from David again. I'll begin reading. It says this, I called on the Lord in distress. Again, I called on Who? I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. What can man do to me? Um, I think I told you to go. That was the one I just read to you. Psalm 18. Say, help him, Lord. Here you go, verse 6, Psalm 18, verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried out to my God. Who's he crying out to? To his neighbor? To the person sitting next to him in church? Usher, can you hand this note to pastor? No, who'd he cry out to? I cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him even to his ears. Now we're just going to read the next several verses here and you got to see this. You're going to flip out. Look at verse 7 and just keep going. Then the earth shook and trembled. Come on, somebody's got to get excited about this this morning. David cried out to God. God heard it and the earth began to shake. It trembled. The foundations and the hills also quaked and were shaken. Why? Because he was angry. God gets angry at the things that are keeping you tight. God gets angry at what's keeping you constricted. Go to the next verse, verse 8. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Colds were kindled by it. This is God's response to you crying out to him and not somebody else. This is God's response to you making him your source and nobody else. Oh, look, he bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew and flew upon the wings of the wind. Keep going. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of skies. Verse 12, from the brightness before him, his thick, cl- his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. What's making all this happen? David cried out. Come on, people. God goes to work on behalf of those who are abased but will do it in faith and know how to put pressure on him and his word and nobody else. Faith in God puts no pressure on other people. Faith in God puts no pressure on other people. Verse 14, he sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were uncovered. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent from above, he took me, he drew me out. I was in one state, and he drew me out. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They were too strong for me, he said. You might be up against it right now, financial pressure, debt that is, has become a mountain that you can't see over and you can't seem to climb and it's too strong for you, you listen to me. This is not the time to put pressure and talk the need to each other. We don't talk the need, we don't talk the debt, we don't talk what we don't have. When it starts to come up, when that pressure starts to rise on the inside, husbands, wives, the two of you fall to your knees on the carpet in your bedroom and you cry out to God and you say, God, we trust you, God, we believe you, God, we have faith in you and you cry out to him. Not in doubt, not in worry, not in fear, but in faith. Believing that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And this is what he'll do. He'll go to work on your behalf. And with something that's too strong for you, it's not too strong for him. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. The Lord was my support. People want to know, they want to ask me and Sarah, where where do you get your support for your ministry? Jesus. (laughs) We'll get it from the Lord. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. But, But how do you raise your money? We get our support from the Lord. We get our support from the Lord. We put no pressure on other people. We let the Lord bring people. We let the Lord bring finances. We let him do it because the first time I write a letter and says and and say if I don't have this from you right now, the moment I do that, I may get what I'm asking for, but I'm immediately limited to it. And I love you and you're great, but I'm not interested in what you can do for me. I'm not that even goes down to the motivation and why we go to churches and the churches that we go to. This is a great, this is awesome and a wonderful church, but I can stand before you this morning and be completely 100% honest in, in telling you I am not here because of what you can do for me. I'm not. I get my support from the Lord. Because what he's able to do for me far exceeds what any one man, two men, 3,000 men and women could do for me. And the same thing's true for you. Don't put your pressure on people. Don't speak the need to other people. If you got to cry, you go in your room and shut that door. Then go in the closet and shut that door. And then get your face inside the clothes where you are putting no pressure on other people. And the only one that can hear you is Jesus himself. And you put pressure on him. What did David say? Verse 19, he brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. This is why God's going to deliver you. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. When you delight in him, he delights in you and he loves you. We're learning right now how to be abased. If times are tight right now, this is what you need to be doing not speaking in regard to the need. Don't talk it to each other and don't talk it to other people. Set a watch, set a guard over your mouth, set a guard over your lips, put a guard over your heart and don't let the abundance of your heart be the need. Let the abundance, the overflow of your heart be the magnification of your provider. Amen? back to Philippians chapter four already taken too much time so let's see if we can start to wrap this up Philippians chapter four let's look at what else he said about how to be abased he said in verse eleven not that I speak in regard to need for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be what to be content to be content how do we live In this delicate balance of knowing that God wants us to have more believing for more having a vision for more and then at the same time being content with what we have well the first thing you have to do is get rid of this misunderstanding about what contentment is contentment when people hear the word they most often associate it with settling If someone says, be content, then the thought immediately is, okay, well, I just have to settle for what I've got. And the problem with that is there's no joy in that. Contentment with what you've got is not settling with what you've got. Contentment with what you've got and having faith for more is simply being thankful right now. Come on, somebody say "Right Right right now. Right now. Can you be happy right now? Can you be happy before you get more? You're believing God for something or you want something, you desire it. That's good. That's fine. Put your faith on it. Get a vision for it. But can you be happy? Can you be full of joy? Can you be full of peace right now in the state you're in? Can you? Because that's contentment. Again, it's like driving from Texas to Ohio. If I got in the car in Texas and my final destination is Ohio, I've got one or two ways that I can spend that trip going through the other states. I can be angry, I can be frustrated, I can be mad. Why? I'm not in Ohio. Why can't we just be in Ohio? I just want to be in Ohio right now. I want to be in Ohio now. I hate driving, I hate this long trip, 18 hours on the road. Who's got time for this? And you're driving through these states and you're in another state and you're in another state and the whole time you're just angry because of the state you're not in. Being content on that drive does not mean getting out of the car in Arkansas and buying a house there. <laughs> That's not being content. Being content on that drive is, look how beautiful this is. Being content on that drive is, look at these gorgeous hills and these trees. You're driving through another part that may not be as beautiful. Look at how, isn't it amazing how Flat. This is wow. How did God do that? How would He make it so perfectly flat? How did He make it to where there was just nothing at all to look at? That's amazing. <laughs> and it's it's a childish nature that can't do this. Are we there yet? 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 Do you think that irritates you? Come on, God. Are we there yet? When are we going to get there? I want excess. When am I going to get to the excess? When, when's the excess coming? When's the excess coming? And before you know it, you look up and you've missed everything he's done for you. You missed how he got you from one place to another place to another place. All because you're not in the final one yet. But being content on that journey doesn't mean I stop there and stay forever. Being content on that journey is being thankful. Hey, at least we're not still where we started. Amen? That's being content. I know a little bit about this right now. I'm learning about this like Paul did. Back at the 1st uh, the of June, Sarah and I moved out of our house with our family. Sarah, not, we have two kids, Justice and Jesse. Uh, he's five, she's two. And we moved out of the house we'd been living in for a couple years. Well, we had started right about that time construction on our new house, which meant obviously we weren't moving out of one into another quite yet. So we spent most of the summer like traveling around. We traveled and ministered. We went on some great vacations. Um, When we come home from vacation, the house still isn't done. So we move in with Sarah's parents for, you know, six weeks or so. And uh, I love these people. I love those people, and they're so gracious to open up their home to us like that. And then it came time at the end of the summer to come back to Texas, because justice has to start school. But the house, new, new home construction can take a little longer than initially expected. Amen? Anybody? Ever been there? Okay. So we come home, house isn't ready yet, and we knew this would probably be the case. So what we did was we moved into a 30-foot-long, 250-square-foot camper. With Sarah and our two kids, our two children, one five and one two years old, the four of us, moving our entire lives into 250 square feet. We knew, again, that was going to be for a couple of weeks, but then when it kept going past what we initially expected, I, I just sort of felt my grip on my sanity just beginning to loosen and slip as though someone was holding on to me as I dangled off a cliff by one finger. And with each passing day, my contentment just flew further and further away from me. And I remember standing one day in the dark in the doorway of this camper eating my dinner because my son was asleep in this bed right here and my daughter was asleep in this collapsible playpen right here that sort of took up most of the, you know, kitchen, living room, dining room, guest room area. And so I'm just standing there eating my meal and perfect silence and every night, every night after eight o'clock and the kids go to bed, then Sarah and I were we're forced to just move about this camper like ninja-like silence because dear God, do not wake up these children that are never more than this far away from you. And we were in this camper for almost 50 days. Us and the kids started referring to it as prison and we'd start to head back to the camper and the kids were like, we don't want to go to the camper. And we're like, come on. And some secretly, Sarah and I are like, we don't either. We don't either. And she and I would just look at each other every so often, teeth like this and kind of a forced smile. And we're like, we're, we're making memories, right? Making memories, right? I don't want any more memories. And I was laying in the bed of that camper one night when the Holy Spirit led me to this scripture right here and I saw that Paul said that I can in any state be content. And he has been speaking to me about that all this time. Now we left one house and our final destination was our new one and praise God we're in it now and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and it's much bigger than a camper. I'm thankful for that. But I was in another state for a little while and I gotta stand here and tell you that for most, the vast majority of that time I missed an opportunity. I missed an opportunity to be thankful. I missed an opportunity to be grateful for a roof over my head and a place for my kids to sleep. It had a kitchen. We we cooked in a kitchen. It it had um, a bathroom and (laughs) there was plenty to be thankful for and I missed my opportunity. And I'm thankful the Lord showed me this before we got out of it because it began to change the way we talked. It began to change the way we think We were thinking about that time, living in that state. That was an opportunity to be content, to be thankful. Even though it wasn't my final destination, to be content in the camper would not have been to resign. Quit building the house. We're going to stay here forever. Dear God, no. That's not contentment. That's not contentment. That's why the scripture says, godliness with contentment is great gain it's great gain, it's increase, it's excess. When you know how to be thankful today, when you know how to be grateful right now, but I'm abased, it's tight, find something to be thankful for. All the breath that you and I are using to complain is breath he gave us. I wonder how that makes him feel. Everything we complain to him about, we do it with breath he filled our bodies with that'll shut you up. How do we be abased? How do we we know how to do this, Lord? I'm in a tight time. What do I do in this time? And he says, stop talking the need and start start magnifying me. Don't get frustrated over what you don't have. Get thankful over what I've already done. And then finally, Paul said in verse 12, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I want you to put that up in the New Living Translation. Do you guys have that one? New Living Translation? I know how. Say it again. Know how. Are you starting to see that this is valuable know-how? He said, I know how to live on almost Nothing. Or with everything, I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Oh, wouldn't that not be a good secret to know? Come on, Paul, what's your secret, man? How do you do this? How do you live with such joy? How do you live with such contentment? How do you live with such peace? And he says, it's a secret. It's a secret. A secret is just something that not everybody knows. Hopefully, a secret is something that not everybody knows. Not everybody's information that not everybody's living with. I know the secret," he said, "to living in these conditions. You want to know what a secret is? Verse thirteen. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's his secret. (laughs) Shh, shh, Shh! It's a secret. Secret. Don't tell anybody. What's your secret, man? How do you do this? How do you be abased? How do you know how to abound? I do them both the exact same way. By faith in Christ who gives me strength. The word content literally means to be strong enough to not require any aid or support. He says, I'm content and I don't require aid or support. Why? Because I have my strength from within me. To be content means to not be dependent on external circumstances. Living in that camper, my joy was dependent on not living in that camper. That's not good. That's not right. To be content is to be not dependent on what's outside. I've got Christ in me. I'm depending on what's in me to give me strength. Greater is he that is where? In me than he that is in the world. Christ in me, the hope of glory. The same spirit that, that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me and quickens my mortal body. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Folks, what is in you is so much bigger than what's against you. You've got to magnify what's in you because what's pressing against you is trying to crush you, but what's in you is pushing back against it. What's in you will sustain you when you're abased. What's in you will provide for you when times are tight. What's in you will keep you going when nobody else around you is going. When a thousand fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, it's what in you that keeps you alive it's what's in you that's keeping you healed it's what's in you that's keeping you full of joy and full of peace and you are not dependent on what's out here to bring you happiness it's coming from the inside out this is my secret This is Paul's secret. I've discovered the secret to living in any situation and no matter what state I'm in. I've discovered the secret between Texas, Arkansas, Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio. The secret to being in any of them is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am where I am and that's where I'm headed. But until I get there, it is Christ in me giving me strength and I can rejoice all along the way. So no matter where you are on the road from the state of abased to the state of abounding, the secret to it is don't talk the need. The secret to it is be content, be thankful, knowing that more is on the way. In my prayer time over the last, I don't know, several weeks, several months, there's been something that's coming out of my heart over and over. And I've said to the Lord, Lord, if you never did anything else for me again, I've got enough right now to thank you for eternity. The thing is, I know him. And I know he's not done doing stuff for me. But I also know that if it all stopped today and every partner our ministry had decided to quit and go somewhere else and not a single church called us to invite us in to minister, if it all just quit today and God never did anything else for us, I still have enough right now through everything he's done for me from that state to that state to that state to this one that I could be thankful for eternity. So do you. So do you. Because you and I have Jesus. We have a treasure in Jesus. In Jesus you are rich, 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 rich. In Jesus you are wealthy. Magnify Jesus. Magnify Jesus. Stand up on your